This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be nation, gather round while I will tell you a tale of the bells of Notre Dame. You are back for another edition of Pop Goes the Classics here on the Pop Experience. I am one of your tri hosts, Steve Riddle, and today we are continuing our trek through the Disney Renaissance with a film that I think is probably considered still by many one of the more underrated films in the his, in the um, Disney canon. I know for me, it definitely. Um, I would agree with that sentiment. It's one that, while it did do well when it first came out, um, it's kind of not forgotten about, but one you don't immediately think of as one of the uh, the better films of this pe- period. Um, but we, of course, are going to discuss this. And to do so, I have my fellow tri-host with me first. Um, he is, of course, the purveyor of the pop experience uh, all the way in uh, the great state of Connecticut. He is the uh, victor to my Hugo. It is Mr. Andy Atherton. Andy, how are you, sir? You know, Steve, hi, hi, how are you? Uh, I was about to do a Hugo voice, and you made me Victor, and I was like, oh, shit, I can't. <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember a Victor line. Oh, the pageantry. Uh, whatever. I was going to go, time to pour the wine and cut the cheese, uh, <laughs> which is what I like to do before every pod. Uh, but, yeah, it's great to be here. This film, um, it had been a while be- since I had rewatched it. I do like the film, but... Uh, I could see where it kind of falls down on people's lists and is not as remembered because there there's a lot going on in this movie and we're going to talk about it uh, because it needs to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And also uh, joining us, she is um, the Laverne of our trio all the way over in the great uh, nation of Germany. It is Miranda Berthold. Miranda, how are you, my dear? I'm good. I think I like that. I think that's high praise, Wilburn. I think I like that. Yeah. Uh, I am good. It is uh, fall here. It's chilly. It's nice. Um, and we get to talk about a really cool set in Europe movie, too. So like, that's really good. I would agree. I'm sure we'll get into it in a minute. I would agree it's a little bit underrated and forgotten. Um, but. For me, it's not as high up there on the list as I think it is for the two of you. So, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will definitely see. And, of course, the film we are going to be talking about today is the 34th film in the Disney canon. Uh, and it is, of course, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It was, of course, released back on uh, June 21st, 1996. It is, of course, based off the novel of the same name by the uh, legendary Victor Hugo. Um, I can say with certainty that I did not see this film when it first was um, in theaters. Um, I do remember seeing a lot of um, promos for it on TV, um, but it was just one that I, for some reason, just never piqued my interest. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, and it was one that I always kind of – it was one of those ones where I always kind of wanted to see but just never got around to it until, um, of course, Disney Plus came out. And that's when I finally saw it um, in its entirety for the first time. Um, I actually have an interesting little um, story that's uh, related to that's um, t- that this film's connected to, which we'll get, which I will get to um, towards the end of the podcast. But um, Miranda, what were kind of your first early memories of the Hunchback of Notre Dame? So I know I saw this one as a kid. I don't remember if I saw it as a theater. I remember watching it several times. 
But this is one where I'm starting to get into I don't have a distinct memory. Like before, I've had like some sort of distinct memory I can tell you guys about. And I don't know why, but for this one, I don't have one. So I know I watched it. I don't watch it multiple times. Just no like anything that stuck as a core memory on this one. Mm-hmm. Andy? Um, I definitely saw this in the theater. Um, actually, I forgot I went on a date to see this. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I, at the time I had a, I, I did have a girlfriend and, and dragged her to uh, all the Disney movies, whether she liked it or not. And um, no, it was um, I, I remember being um, somewhat excited about it. It, it. This this is a beautifully animated film. And we were still coming off the highs of the Renaissance, which we didn't know was a Renaissance really at the time. <clears throat> but I mean, Pocahontas was kind of a, da- a dip down. But you got to remember the, the three headed monster, you know, of Lion King, Aladdin and Beauty and Beast at the bar so high. But I was excited for this because, you know, they, they had all it had all the elements. You had a, a, you know, a respected actor as the leading man in the voice cast for Clement Kevin Klein. They had Demi Moore as Esmeralda. You had uh, Jim um, Charles Kimbrough as Victor, who was really um, known for Murphy Brown at the time. Jason Alexander uh, was big from Seinfeld and, and some of his other other things. Tom Hulse was a really great character actor. So, I mean, and it was just really well, um, like it was very beautiful looking. It was, it was really, it's really an achievement. And I, I know the, uh, they, they sent the animators over there to Notre Dame and all that stuff. And this is when Florida production was still up and running. And it was, you, you know, you knew that you, you got the sense that there was going to be some song and dance, but you didn't get a, a realization how dark it was going to be because a lot of times this was not as Disney-fied as other uh, darker stories like like Pinocchio or The Little Mermaid. Uh, this this stayed fairly true to the source material, and that's kind of probably why its legacy is not it's not as well remembered in it, you know, and it's not as I guess uh, marketable. Um, so to speak, we'll talk about it later about, you know, how it's really not present in the parks, except for really one area. And it kind of makes sense where at this one, uh, you know, set of set of resorts, why it's there. But it is um, I remember seeing it and then thinking it was a beautifully animated, well, well voiced, but definitely not as kid friendly, I guess, at the time. Mm hmm. Yeah, I definitely um, agree with that. I mean, when you for those that knew the source material, the you know the novel, um, to kind of see it made into a Disney film, I'm sure sure probably uh, raised a bunch of eyebrows to see how they would uh, how true to it they would stay. Um, but we'll see as we go. But we'll see obviously as we um, go along through the film here. Um, so of course the film opens up in the um, overlooking the uh, the sky of uh, Notre Dame as we see the uh, cathedral and then we go down to um, where we see a a, Rom- a Romani puppeteer named Kloppen telling a group of children a story about uh, the bell ringer of Notre Dame. Of course, this is to the song, um, The Bells of Notre Dame. Uh, we get a little flashback of a group of gypsies um, being smuggled into Paris, um, but they are then captured by the 
Ministry of the Minister of Justice, uh, Judge Claude Frollo, um, one of the women who has a, a child with her, unbeknownst to Frollo and the guards, runs away. Uh, Frollo gives chase to her. She reaches the cathedral, tries to get in for a sanctuary, but Frollo is able to catch her, and he uh, viciously kicks her down onto the stairs, killing her instantly. Uh, he then realizes that um, what she was carrying wasn't um, stolen goods, as he had believed, but was in fact a baby. But he is uh, he takes a look at it and is... Um, aghast by its um, appearance so he decides to go over and attempt to throw the baby down a well to kill it but the archdeacon of the cathedral stops him and um, shides him for what he did to this uh, to this woman and what he was about to do to the child um, Frollo faint you know says that he's you know guiltless he did only what he thought he did what he thought was right but the archdeacon's basically like you know says you can lie to to uh to yourself and your minions but you can't lie you know to the uh, you know to the to the god to god basically and frollo gets um gets nervous and asks what you know he can do to repent so the archdeacon tells him to raise the child as his own and um raise you know raise him as his son and frollo reluctantly agrees but says that the child must stay in the cathedral and is and is left to stay up by uh in the bell tower he then, uh, we then learn that he has given the child the name Quasimodo, which means half-formed, and we then cut ahead a few years as Quasi has now become a young man and the bell ringer of the cathedral, as uh, Kloppen gives us a kind of a question to ponder um, as we go forward here, and that is, who is the monster and who is the man? So, um, Andy, what would you think of this uh, introduction to the film? What do you think of The Bells of Notre Dame as a song? And where does Frollo uh, land in terms of uh, uh, villains? Because to this point, we've had a lot of really great villains, um, but most of them have been, you know, have, have been kind of like those ones that we like, you know, we know we're supposed to hate them, but there's pers- something about their personalities that we can, you know, you know, a- attach to and um, enjoy. But Frollo is just like, I mean, if you're looking for like pure evil personified, um, that would be him. Yeah, there, there, there is nothing <laughs> redeeming about Frollo. He is just bad, evil. The thing is, though, about Frollo, why he gets overlooked and forgotten, or, or is, I guess we use this term a lot, underrated. Uh, he, 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 he's just very. He's one note. He is one, the same the whole time. He is just evil. He's, he's, you know, looks down upon people. He. He's just, that's all he is. Like, you know, with Scar or with Jafar, they have personality. There's no personality here. There, he just doesn't, there's no off switch on him. He, you know, he just, he just wants to, to run, have money and, and rule. Uh, I think the opening animation is, is incredible. Uh, Kloppen is a great narrator that we get in this movie. Um, but yeah, Frollo is evil and dark from the get-go. We get a Bambi's mom like death of Quasimodo's mother. Extremely dark. And and the fact that he's treated like a freak and outcast from birth, really, it, it sets the tone um, and gives you instant sympathy for Quasimodo. Because, you know, when we do see him at, grown up, yeah, he's, he's different. He's deformed, but they... They didn't make him scary, like, you know, in some of the live-action movies that, you know, came out back in, like, the 50s and stuff, in black and white. I mean, he 
there's something kind of charming or adoring about Quasimodo. And uh, he is probably the most, one of the most sympathetic, uh, you know, heroes we get in any film in Disney ever, really. So I, 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 it sets the tone for the movie and it really just establishes everything and we get, we know what we're in for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I 100% agree about um, Quasimodo being a great sympathetic character, and we'll see that play out um, throughout the course of the film. Uh, Miranda, what did you think of this opening, um, this opening sequence? Um, what did you think of the Bells of Notre Dame as a song? And then where does Frollo rank for you as a villain? Um, I think that he is often forgotten about, um, and he should be pretty high up there on the list. And I think the reason he should be really high up there is because he's one of our first extremely beyond realistic like he was a real person doing real horrible things and persecuting people for just who they were and what culture they came from so i think that's what makes him the absolute most terrifying that we've had this far because i mean there was probably one of him for real during this time (laughs) and i think that's what makes it so sad um and this is dark um, and yes, we've had parents die before, but this time you visually see like the entire thing go down. Not to mention, we see him try to murder Quasimodo as a baby by just throwing him down a well. Um, it's very disturbing, especially rewatching it as an adult and knowing like exactly what is going on. I think the song um, adds to like the tone of what we're going through right here. I think it's a good enough song, but it's one that I had kind of forgotten about. Um, and maybe that sounds bad because there's probably somebody out there that's like, I love this and I would never forget it. But I had kind of actually forgotten about it. Um, but you guys were talking about how Quasimodo is just so likable. And you were going through your adjectives, Andy, describing him. The term that I kept wanting to say was endearing, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to interrupt you. Like, he's just... He's very endearing and, like you said, just, like, charismatic. Um, so it kind of makes what all you just saw even worse because it's not like he's this horrid monster. The horrid monster was one that tried to get rid of him and did get rid of his mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, um So we then cut to the uh, present day where, like I said, Quasimodo is now the, uh, the bell ringer. And he... Um, and we see that the um, the city is preparing for its annual feast of uh, feast of fools, and this is where we get to meet uh, Quasi's um, three gargoyle friends, uh, Victor, Hugo, and Laverne. Of course, a little uh, inside uh, inside joke there. Of course, uh, Victor Hugo, the uh, the author, and then Laverne, who was his wife. Um, so a nice little tribute to the three of them. Uh, we get to know them and their uh, their personalities. Hugo's definitely the very um, the outgoing um, clown of the group. Victor is very you know staunch and stoic but at the same time kind of you know not all there and of course laverne kind of the voice of reason um while also being constantly uh chased around by uh by the birds <laughs> so the nice little uh, running joke there throughout the um the film um so the, they of course um they tell him that he should, you know, not just be watching from the from the from the rafters as he usually does. That he should go down and take part in the festival. Um, Quasi's, of course, you know, hesitant because of uh, one because of Frollo because Frollo's always told him, you know, he can't go out in the to public. 
but also because he thinks that he, you know, looked at as a freak. Um, but they eventually kind of, you know, poise him up to the point that he wants to go. But at that very moment, uh, Frollo shows up to have some lunch. Uh, they go through his, they go through some lessons, which uh, basically uh, Frollo recites the alphabet while uh, uh, Quasi kind of, re- you know, relays back um, kind of not so kind words about mainly himself. Um, but then Frollo kind of realizes that Quasi's had ideas about going down to the festival and this is where we get another really uh, good song um, that's out there that um, first uh, Frollo sings as he tries to convince Quasi to stay inside and stay out of uh, stay out of sight. And one of the uh, cool little things we see is that Quasi has kind of made himself this little um, almost like place set, um, basically representing uh, Paris. He's made the cathedral. He's made all these different homes. Um, he's made these little like dolls based out of the uh, townspeople, including himself. Um, so once uh, Frollo leaves. Um, then we get uh, Quasi's uh, portion of the song where he basically just asks for one day to be out amongst um, the public and amongst the uh, the masses where he is accepted as a normal human. And um, and he says that if he gets that one day, he'll be content with everything as he makes preparations to uh, to seek out the cathedral and head down to the festival. So, um, Miranda, what did you think of this kind of official introduction to Quasi um, as well as the gargoyles and um, – What'd you think of the song out there? I really like um, our introduction to Quasi. I think it just shows the kind and caring kind of person that he is. And he actually is extremely smart and he's very kind and funny. And the gargoyles are great because you always want that like kind of funny little sidekick to your hero of the movie. Um, And I think the three of them as a, as a group, as a trio there do a really good um, job. The song is rather sad but fits very well it's just somebody wanting to be accepted and wanting to be part of something um and i think we've all whether it was as a kid or as an adult or are still feeling that way we've all felt this way and so it just kind of really hits um i think for pretty much everyone out there Definitely. And we should also mention to the um, so because we mentioned briefly the actors. So, of course, we have uh, Tom uh, Hulse as uh, Quasimodo. Um, many remember he actually was uh, Mozart in the film Amadeus. So he's got some good uh, cachet to his name. And then um, uh, we mentioned, of course, the um, the gargoyles. Uh, Char- Charles Kimbrough is um, is Victor. Jason Alexander is Hugo and uh, Mary Wicks as uh, Laverne. Uh, so some good uh, some good cho- casting choices there. Um, Andy, what did you think of the um, introduction here to Quasi and to the Gargoyles? And um, what did you think of, of um, Out There as a song? Yeah, we have solid casting here. And then the Archdeacon, too, is uh, is David Ogden Steers. <laughs> and Tom Tom Hulse, I know. Yes, I know him from Mozart, but Amadeus, I mean. But he's Pinto in Animal House, <laughs> as well as um, in Parenthood. He played, like, the kind of the... the the black sheep uh, son, I guess, of the group, and and yeah, the nice, nice, um, you know, contrast between Hugo and Victor, uh, Mary Wicks, who is a legendary character actress. Um, you, you you've seen her in so many things. Probably most uh, notably is she was probably the one of the cranky nuns in the first Sister Act movie. She's the one that uh, has been a nun so long she outlived four popes. And uh, but she actually died uh, before completing her voice tracks, and mm-hmm. they got the uh, actress Jane Withers, who you know she's not familiar to a lot of people today, but 
you know, she was pretty well known back in in the 50s and 60s, more of a child actress, kind of a like a, I guess a second fiddle to Shirley Temple at the time, so to speak, because she was like, you know, Shirley Temple was number one, America's Sweetheart. Jane Withers was number two, <coughs> if you ever look her up. Um, but you know, what a great balance and contrast between them. I, I really like the change in the animation too when uh, you see them sitting there like very like statues. And then it kind of changes and they come alive and talk to him. And I just, I really love when Quasimodo, uh, and this is this is all Tom Holtz doing, uh, is uh, when he grabs the bird and it's, it's like, is today the day? Is today you're going to fly? It, it, I like, it warms my heart because he's just so nice and sweet and caring and, and you, and you look down. Uh, Frollo, you know, very snobby and oppressive here. Out There is a great song. The first half tells you all you need to know about their relationship between the two of them. And the second half turns into like a very Broadway-esque like number. And actually, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, noticed this or, or, or knew about this. If you look down uh, at a certain spot in the crowd, you will spot Belle from Beauty and the Beast walking through. So, a uh, very uh, fun little uh, Easter egg right there. Hmm. Yeah, I think I might have uh, missed that one, so I'll have to go back and look for it. Um, kind of interesting. So reading up on these, um, kind of the make when they were doing some of the other casting, apparently um, they initially um, wanted to bring in Cindy Lauper to be one of the gargoyles. So I thought that you know that could have been a very uh, mm. uh, it, interesting uh, decision there um, in terms of uh, what she could have brought to the table. And apparently before um, Tom Holstey came in for Quasimodo. Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg had wanted Meatloaf to play Quasi, which um, I don't know how that would have worked, but but um, uh, I you Cindy know, Lauper, I, I see Meatloaf, not so much. I think I think he was because I think he was going for more of a musical. I mean, Cindy Lauper, I I don't know, I, I I can't see her accent or voice fitting in, really, because she's not now, got, but it would have been funny. It would have been it would have been a, like an incredible stunt casting. Meatloaf, who I've actually met uh, when he was still alive, uh, years about it was about eleven years ago. Um, uh, he, he would have been interesting. Uh, he, I think his voice is a little too deep mm-hmm. uh, with speaking voice at least. Singing voice would have been great. But, but you know, they've done it before, <laughs> where one person is the speaking voice and another yeah. person is the singing voice. So maybe they were gonna do that i don't know uh, i, I think I meatloaf know. had uh, like had wanted to get into acting and had done some acting so i think mm-hmm. he probably wanted to do both if he was gonna sign on the dotted line that's true not, not speaking for right. mr loaf uh just saying <laughs> <laughs> god you broke, broke me already, already. <laughs> uh, well as we'll see um with Esmeralda, they have, you know, someone doing the speaking voice and the one doing the singing voice. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we see that there. And I guess um, when um, when Tom Halsey auditioned for Quasimodo, he did a recording. He demoed um, out there. And after hearing it, they were convinced to let him do his own singing. So um, it all it all worked out in the end. So, oh, yeah, well, I, I've heard actors do get disappointed when they, uh, you know, when they have a decent singing voice and but they, you know, they don't get to do that part of it. They only get to do the speaking part. I know some have gotten disappointed in the past from what I've heard. I feel like it's probably because uh, the production itself had a vision for the song 
And yeah. maybe even though they have a great voice, their voice just doesn't project that vision, maybe. Mm-hmm. Could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And plus, like you said, you know, considering that Quasi is supposed to be 20 at this point, and, you know, right. I, I definitely Meatloaf would not, would not have, uh, would have been too, would have been too deep for that. But, um, but I, but anyway, we dig, we digress. Um, so then we head down into um, the city where we where we meet uh, Captain Phoebus, who was, um, as Andy had mentioned, uh, played by Kevin Klein. Uh, he is uh, coming back from a war, and he notices a uh, gypsy girl um, dancing on the dancing on the side. Of course, we've learned that uh, her name is Esmeralda. She's played by uh, Demi Moore. Uh, she is, uh, da- you know, cl- you know, he becomes immediately uh, smitten uh, smitten with her as um, a couple of guards come up and try to arrest her for stealing as they they claim it is um but she along with her um her goat her pet goat um the it's pronounced uh, jolly jolly okay yeah i wasn't sure if the d or the j was silent but uh, no, the d, yeah the d silent yeah, yeah. Um, but they make their escape and uh phoebus actually aids it by uh blocking the guards off and then he has his horse um achilles sit down on one of the on one of the guards in the mud <laughs> um and then they course they of course then try to go after him but then realize that you know his position they're like oh like oh gotta back off here so he um, has them take him to the um to the ministry of justice where he meets up with frollo for the first time and frollo um basically says that he has brought him in to assist him with his uh his plan to get rid of all the gypsies in paris uh, he lets him know that um he believes that there is a hideout somewhere in paris that the gypsies congregate to called the courts of miracles and um, he has uh, he wants Phoebus to assist him, and you can kind of see Phoebus is kind of you know not on board completely, but obviously since he is a soldier, he is um, intends to do his job properly, and they then head out as well to prepare for the feast of fools. Um, so, uh, Andy, what did you think of this um, introduction to um, to Phoebus and to um, to Esmeralda? And um, we were talking about. Um, we mentioned about casting decisions here. Um, as I mentioned, um, Demi Moore, who was brought in to be Esmeralda, um, also kind of caused a little bit of a stir, mainly because um, it was around this time. It was either this year or the year before that she had done her uh, very infamous film Striptease, and many felt kind of you know like you know why are you bringing this person into voice of Disney ca- hmm. Disney characters? So, um, but I think she actually does a really good job as Esmeralda, even though like we mentioned, she doesn't um, sing. Um, we have a Another actress, uh, Heidi Mullenhauer, who does the singing voice for Esmeralda, as we'll see. But um, but what did you think of the introduction of these two characters? Um, I think they're fine. I think Phoebus is kind of vanilla a little bit. I mean, it, it, well, I mean, he's kind of bland. I, I mean, yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, we needed a... Um, I guess a, a more striking hero in this. He kind of like, like for me at the time, I think it was like, it, he's kind of like a John Smith kind of clone almost, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, there was this way too much um, similarities there, I think for me. And uh, I, I do like Esmeralda, um, you know, very uh, sultry designed again, a, this was quite a, uh, a departure in terms of tone and, and allowance. And, and, not for nothing, <clears throat> striptease is kind of a guilty pleasure of mine, and it's not because of like it's it's um look at this you know on the Muppet Pod I mentioned Showgirls on on Disney Pod we're talking about yes, striptease just... uh, <laughs> you know I I but I like it because of um such great performances in it Ving Rhames Burt Reynolds 
And I'm trying to get the popcorn chicken salad guys to do that on an episode because that really deserves it. And Robert Patrick, too, is really good in that movie. Um, but, I, I mean, at the time, she was the biggest female star. And they, they were trying to get her into something. Just putting her name on it, I think, brought, brought cachet. Uh, I think Eisner was fine. I think he was probably the one that had the final say on it. Uh, Katzenberg. I'm, I'm thinking Katzenberg went in. Uh, thinking like, you know, I'm not. He's not going to approve Demi Moore, and he actually got it. Um, but I, I do, and Jolly the Goat is cute, and you know he's fun, and uh, Frollo, yeah, definitely wants to get rid of. Uh, kind of wants to do a little cleansing, I guess, because they're the one thing that's that's kind of messing up his plans. And that's his singular mission is to if he can figures if he rids the, the you know the, the the gypsies and the hooligans and what have you that he'll have unoppo- unopposed um, you know he'll be able to rule without issue. So you definitely see the you know now I think at this point we've really the movies start and getting we're getting into you know our act two. So with uh, you know all of our established char- characters have been established, we know all what the what kind of what's going on in the background, and let's just uh, watch the story unfold from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Miranda, what did you think of the introduction here of uh, Phoebus and Esmeralda? Phoebus is basic. <laughs> He's just so. I'm with Andy. Like he feels like he should have been one of the guys on the boat with John Smith. Like his look. And they will repeat this later because in some ways I can look at him and see other um, male characters that we're going to have later on in Disney as well. So I think it's just uh, they like to draw them a certain way, I guess. But I don't really care for him. I think he's kind of bland and boring. But maybe that's the whole point um, is to show that you can have a pretty face and be like (laughs) of no interest, if that makes sense. Um, I like the introduction to Esmeralda. I don't, I think it's definitely on purpose that she even looks like Demi Moore. Yeah. Like, I can see Demi Moore, like, actually talking as Esmeralda is talking. Um, I like the goat. Jolly's fun. I like that that she has a sidekick and Quasi has sidekicks as well. I think that kind of adds to it. A lot of times in our Disney movies, if we don't get sidekicks, we all get, like, really angry. So... You know. Yeah, well, it's kind of like uh, they're like the Apu and he's the Ra and Jolly's like the Raja. Right. Mm-hmm. Good, uh, good comparison there. I, I like that. So then we go back to the um, to the town square where the Festival of Fools has begun, and Quasi has now uh, made his way down from the cathedral uh, to the to the um, center of town, and we get a another really uh, great song, and that's the the um, Topsy Turvy. Um, really good song here as uh, Klopin is uh, basically, you know, leading the charge and we see all these like really, really weird and bizarre characters. Um, Quasi's getting all like, you know, caught up in the middle of it. And at one point he actually inadvertently goes into Esmeralda's tent um, where she kind of, you know, she kind of makes, you know, helps him up and, you know, they you know finally meet, you know, they meet each other for the first time. And at one point she even compliments him for um, 
his mask because because she thinks he's in he's in disguise. Um, we then see uh, Frollo, um, Phoebus, and the guard come in as they take their places. And at that point, we then uh, have Esmeralda come out and do a very uh, sultrous dance, much to uh, Phoebus's delight and uh, Frollo's um, shock, as he's kind of you know torn between. Um, you know, thinking that, you know, it's, you know, sinful and uh, even at one point, get, you know, kind of being, you know, intrigued by it himself. Uh, then we get to the uh, climax of uh, of the festival when they bring up a bunch of uh, uh, people up to crown the king of fools. Um, at one point, Quasi even gets brought up as well by Esmeralda. So they go down the line. Everyone gives their uh, funny face and all get um, rejected as uh, Johnny uh, knocks him off the stage. Uh, they finally get to Quasi, and Esmeralda kind of finally realizes that that's not a mask he's wearing. That's actually his face. Everyone get goes stunned um, into shock. Um, at one point, um, you know, Quasi's kind of embarrassed, but then um, Klopp is like, you know, no, there's, you know, hey, you know, don't panic. We uh, we got what we wanted. You know, we wanted the ugliest face in Paris, and we have them. So they end up crowning uh, Quasi as the king of fools. Uh, he ends up, he kind of starts rel. Uh, reveling in the glory of everything as uh, as Frollo's looking on with uh, complete contempt. And we get to the um, the kind of the final uh, beats of the song as uh, as Quasi's brought to his like, stage in the middle of town. He's got the robe, he's got the crown, and he's uh, uh, soaking in the adulation of everyone while the uh, while, our, while his gargoyle, gargoyle friends uh, watch out from above and celebrate as well. So, uh, Miranda, what did you think? Because um, we do have a little bit more, obviously, to talk about with the scene. But mm-hmm. Miranda, what did you think of um, the Festival of Fools? Um, where does uh, Topsy Turvy rank for you as a song? And um, what did you think of Quasi kind of finally getting his, um, for a brief moment, getting um, accepted by the crowd, even if it is as the King of Fools? Um, I actually really love this song. I don't know where I rank it, to be honest, but it is one that I absolutely remember and I really do enjoy. I think it just proves how wrong Frollo is though how yes it's this like funny festival but like they accepted him then so clearly they would accept him any other time maybe with a little more pushback but like I think it just shows how like wrong Frollo's thinking is about the Romas about quasi kind of pretty much about everything Um, so I really enjoy that we have this this early because normally something like this wouldn't happen until later in the movie as like the yay everything's great Um, so I like that it happens now but of course we know that means there's like ick to come Mm -hmm. Andy what did you think of uh, the festival what did you think of the song Topsy Turvy and um, Quasi getting his his brief moment of glory here I do like this but you know that something bad is going to come uh, you know it's it it, it it doesn't work out like this for 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 people like quasimodo like it's not going to be this easy or this simple to get accepted that you know he he finally ventures out of the cathedral and you know you know against frollo's orders really and i i do like the the how colorful the festival of fools you know it's such a contrast too cuz you look at frollo and he's so Whereas very monotone and dark and drab colors, and the Festival of Fools is so so colorful and just so alive. Really, that's the best way to uh, to explain it. And uh, I, I do like the song Quasi. I mean, Topsy Turvy. It is it is a fun 
uh, song. You know, it may be one of our beds. I don't know yet. I'm trying to figure that out. But um, I do feel, you know, even I remember seeing this for the first time. I do remember thinking like, oh, this is this is this is not going to end well for, for poor Quasimodo. I mean, I know people just aren't, you know, people just are afraid of the unknown or the different. And and it's kind of a. Um, a little surprising though because these are the the different people and but they're not as different so to speak mm-hmm. yeah well like you said um you know we get this brief you know moment of glory but then it all quickly turns to awry because uh some of the guards then start hurling fruits at quasi um which leads then to the townspeople to do you know the people of paris to do the same as they start you know laughing at him they at one point tie him down um by you know with ropes and i mean quasi's you know struggling heavily and he you know at one point calls out to frollo for help but frollo um you know blatantly refuses at one point phoebus even says you know he wants to stop it but you know frollo tells him to hold off but then eventually it's esmeralda who stops everything and she comes up um, onto the um to the platform there and uh frees quasi from his uh from his binds um frollo chastises her for it she says that you know frollo just makes you know fun of every you know makes fun of everyone and holds everyone down and even goes on far as to say that uh he's the real king of fools as she throws the crown at him uh he then uh, orders the guards to take her and then she um disappears which you know frollo uh takes as uh, witchcraft and at what point we then get a uh, really cool little <laughs> sequence here as Esmeralda is basically using uh, the assistance of all the um, the performers to outrun all the guards. Um, at one point, this um, this old man in a cage gets um, involved in the action as he uh, as the cage you know runs over some of the guards and then he actually the cage opens and he gets so excited that he gets free but then he he inadvertently trips and then falls into the stocks, uh, which was a um, kind of a, a fun little bit there um she eventually uh, makes her escape by disappearing and frollo orders um phoebus and the guards to track her down he then walks past quasimodo who is left um utterly um you know you know just broken down and humiliated he begs forgiveness as frollo you know walks away in disgust and then quasi takes the um unfortunate walk of shame um, back into the cathedral as he uh, is left to um, ponder the if he made the right decision. Um, so, Andy, what would you think of this kind of the scene here of uh, Quasi getting um, everyone going from like everybody, you know, admire him, admiring him to them making fun of him? And what would you think of the um, kind of the Esmeralda, you know, using her wits and her wiles to um, take out all the guards? Andy's muted, I think. Uh, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he is muted. Oops, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I don't mute often, too. That's the thing. Uh, no, I thought um, the Esmeralda escape was very uh, one jump ahead, like from Aladdin using uh, the environment and everything, uh, oh. you know, around her. Very ingenious. So I did, I did enjoy that. Um, you know, Frollo's exchange with Esmeralda in the church kind of made me cringe a little bit. Because he was, uh, you know, you could definitely see that he, uh, he's kind of got some uh, other motives with so her. So gross and skeevy, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, qu- you know, quite the trip down the cathedral is is quite terrifying at parts. But for Quasimodo, though, it's just like your heart breaks for him. 
Because mm-hmm. in, in the short amount of time you've gotten to know the character, you know that you know he has a tragic backstory, a tragic beginning. Grew up, you know, with this basically, you know, for Disney Five Party, my French piece of shit as a as a father, and you know he gets he, his hopes get uh, brought up that he's a you know going to be accepted and is one of them, and then based on not who he is, but just what he looks like, he gets, you know, tied up and he gets uh, food thrown at him. And he's just, it's just, uh, it's just heartbreaking here. I mean, you know, he's already a sympathetic character. And I think it's, I guess it's important for the story, but it's, um, yeah, it just really gets you emotionally. And it just, it kind of makes you question the townspeople as well, though. Like, are these really good people? Are you going to root for them against Rolo, or is it just everybody against Quasi? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, we haven't got to that church scene yet, but we will we'll get there in just a second. But, um, Miranda, what did you think of um, this uh, Quasi kind of getting, um, you know, getting turned on by the by the people and the Esmeralda taking out the guards? Now Miranda's on mute. <laughs> Sorry, I was coughing. Legitimately, you did not want to hear that. <laughs> um, That's fine. I had to t- I had to mute earlier to t- to um to not you know cough on on the mic. Yeah. So. No, you asked me, and I was literally in the middle of being like, <laughs> and I was like, oh god. <laughs> Everybody's getting over the COVID. We are. We we have all been sick. We apologize for our uh, random muteness that keeps happening. Um, no, this is, it's beyond devastating. It's very heartbreaking what happens to him. And I think it does, uh, in a good way, show what, because um, in movies, they're trying to show children, right? They're trying to appeal to the adults, but teach the children something. And I think this is a great representation of, like, how mob mentality happens and how, like, people of power can influence. So Frollo... Didn't want him there. You know, all it takes is one of Frollo's men to make one action and it changes everyone because they see that person of power, of authority doing something. And that makes it even more disturbing is that you would just turn on your neighbor or your person or your loved one all because of the power that be. Um, And it makes you just devastated for him, but it makes you even more happy for a person like Esmeralda because she doesn't care how she comes across and she doesn't. She doesn't care. She's going to take care of things. But Andy, you brought up a good point. You were like, how could he as a father? And it's because he's not. Not, not even the slightest. Yes, he may have raised Quasimodo. But if you notice, Quasi doesn't call him father. He calls him master. So he's not a father. He's a a master and a slave owner, essentially. Well, I said he's really his father figure, really. And that's what I know, but I'm just, I'm not arguing with you. I'm saying like, He's not his father. Like, yeah. he's, he's horrible. Like, because I think a person can raise someone and not be their dad and be an excellent father. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's a horrible human being. He's a he piece is. of mm-hmm. Well, he, he said even the whole point when he, you know, when the Archdeacon basically said, you know, to, you know, basically kind of guilted him into raising him. Mm-hmm. Even Frollo was basically like, well, you know, maybe someday this, um, this, this child will be of some use to me. So, yeah, you know, you know so you have that as well. Um, 
So then we see, uh, so then uh, Phoebus sees uh, Esmeraldus and uh, Jolly sneak into the cathedral, and he follows them in and introduces himself, which leads to a, <laughs> a little um, uh, fight between the two of them. Uh, she's using one of like the the candlesticks to um, to f- try to fight him off, but he's you know just you know trying to play cool about everything. Um, eventually, they you know get to know each other, and then at that point, uh, Frollo comes in with the guards and demands that he arrest her, um, and she then kind of. You know, thinks that she that he tricked her, but then he turns around and basically gives her, you know, saves her by saying that she claims sanctuary and that she can't um, be arrested. Um, and the archdeacon that comes over and kind of chastises all of them. And then at one point, like you said, then um, Frollo kind of sneaks around and then grabs her from behind, like you said, and says that, uh, you know, he'll get her, you know, when the mi- when the time is right. At one point, he. Uh, he then says, then says really kind of creepily, he's like, I just, um, I was just imagining a rope around your beautiful neck. Uh, just re- like you said, just really kind of creepy. Um, and he says basically that she may uh, claim sanctuary, but this will be her prison. And then when she steps outside, he will have her. And then that leads to another kind of really um, memorable song from this film that says, Morelda sings, that's God help the outcasts. And she prays for the um, the safety of not really herself, but more for her um, for her fellow gypsies. And um, we see uh, Quasi is kind of watching on as he sing as she sings, and he becomes in, you know enchanted by her. Uh, at one point, he makes his way all the way down to the cathedral, but the townspeople kind of shoo him away as she uh, chases after him. And she follows him up into his little um, up into the bell tower there as she sees his little um, his space there as he. She admires his um, his handiwork with the um, with the dolls and the um, and the houses that he's created. He then takes her around the um, around the bell tower as we see that he is uh, he has named all the bells, um, <laughs> you know, which he uh, he's very proudful of. As they uh, as he then takes her out to the top as they admire the view of Paris. Um, he then says that she can stay with them, but she says that she belongs out there with everybody else. Um, and at one point, he even says that you know. He, you know, that she's one of the few good gypsies that the rest are evil because Frollo has, you know, taught him that. And uh, she basically then um, reads his palms because he, you know, thinks himself as a monster. And she says that she doesn't see any monster lines and doesn't believe he's a monster. And he says that he will um, help her get out of the cathedral as they, as he takes um, her and uh, John Johnny um, all the way down to the to the ground level um, in a very kind of uh, interesting. Um, intense sequence there as they make their way down uh he then um she wants him to come with them but he says no so she says if she ever if he ever needs sanctuary um he gives she gives him a little um like necklace with a pendant on it says that um if you hold if you hold this in your hand hold this in your hand you'll find uh, your way to the court of miracles and she walks off just as he makes his way back up the back up the tower um at one point he encounters uh, phoebus and thinking that he's trying to arrest Esmeralda, he scares her off. But but uh, Phoebus basically tells her, you know, that she's that he will help her if necessary. And then uh, Quasi basically says, "All right, you know, I'll I'll give you that trust." And um, Phoebus says that um, Quasi's lucky to, uh, or she's lucky to have a friend like Quasimodo. So um, I think that's when Quasi kind of realizes that uh, Phoebus is on um, is on their side there. So uh, Miranda, what did you think of this um, the sequence? What did you think of "God Help the Outcasts" as a song, and uh, this kind of burgeoning friendship with Quasi and Esmeralda? I think it's a really good song. I like their friendship. I think we knew that that was coming, especially from their first meeting in her tent. Um, so we've kind of been waiting for it. I also like that part of that 
the priest of Notre Dame actually tells her, you know, maybe there's someone who, here who can help. Um, I like that it's alluding to Quasi, like he can help her and she can help him. They just don't know that yet. Um, I think it is sad that Quasi's like, well, you're you're the nice gypsy, but I know they're not all because it, that is very much what happens with children. Um, because Quasi could easily be a very horrible person, right? Like if he listened to everything Frollo told him which clearly he does listen to some things, and if he believed everything, we would have a completely different person on our hands. Um, and it's unfortunate because that's how it works in the real world. <laughs> Kids repeat things they say. They just don't come out hating other people. Um, so I think now we, the three of us as adults, are seeing the lessons that they were trying to teach us then, that we inadvertently were taking in and didn't even know it. Um, this segment is actually one of my favorite parts of the movie itself. And I love our interaction with our gargoyles along the way as well. They're, they're kind of my favorite here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Andy, what'd you think of, um, this, this whole sequence? What'd you think of, uh, God help the outcast as a song and the, um, the burgeoning friendship with, uh, quasi and Esmeralda. Well, definitely you see the, the friendship, but I think quasi has like stronger feelings. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I, I was getting the sense of a love triangle starting to brew because you see Phoebus also. I mean, Esmeralda, she's beautiful. I mean, you know, of course, you know, every and guy she's is different. Gonna, yeah, she's different. She's exotic. Uh, I, I do love the childlike excitement that uh, Quasimodo has when, you know, it's the first time like you have like a new friend over your house and he wants to show her everything he's done because he's been a lived a very sheltered life and he's had to make his own you know, fun, his own entertainment, his own friends, you know, I mean, are the really talking or is that him making it up? I, you know, I, I do like uh, how Hugo messes with Jolly at one point where he's standing there and then he comes to life and then he, he, you know, Jolly, you know, gets fooled. And Esmeralda is just so, uh, she's, she's so accepting of him and, and outgoing, but, you know, he had a very bad experience with the gypsies and, and, you know, double that, couple that with what Frollo had been teaching him the whole time. Uh, of course, he's going to have some reservations and be apprehensive. Um, but no, I really, I really did. Um, I like this sequence here and we get their, their relationship and, and show their friendship and, and how she, uh, you know, is somebody that's that's finally there for him. I mean, the only person that's really been there for him uh, is the Archdeacon. And the Archdeacon can only do so much. So maybe, uh, you know, Quasimodo will start being the man he was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so then uh, Quasi returns to the tower where the gargoyles are, like, you know, so excited for him, and he's kind of, you know, playing, trying to play, you know, play things kind of cool and then we get a um another song from him as he sings heaven's lights as we see him carve a new doll um model models that look like esmeralda as he then plays you know the bells off as as we go into the night uh we briefly see the archdeacon and his um and the monks kind of go through the um, cathedral as they you know sing their little hymn and then we go into the ministry where we get another really uh powerful song as um Frollo sings hellfire as he is struggling with the uh you know, with his um, the affections he's starting to feel for Esmeralda, um, as he calls, you know, he's you know being tempted by sin. Uh, he then learns that uh, Esmeralda has escaped the cathedral, 
as he says, basically um, kind of closes out the song saying that uh, Esmeralda will either be his or she will burn. Uh, we then go to the next day where Frollo uh, us gathers up Phoebus and the guard as they go um, throughout the city trying to find Esmeralda. They capture up all these different um, Ro- Ro- Roma and gypsies, basically offering them uh, numerous pieces of silver for um, for Esmeralda's whereabouts. They all refuse to um, to talk. Uh, then we go out into um, the outskirts of the city um, where they they uh, basically put a family that they believe is how harbored gypsies under house arrest. But then we learn that uh, Frollo wants Phoebus to set the um, set the house on fire. Uh, but Phoebus finally kind of uh, after kind of you know seeing Frollo's um, true you know actions, he finally has uh, basically is like I thought had all I can stands I can't stands no more as he refuses to do so. So Frollo then sets the house on fire himself. Uh, Phoebus then um, saves the family that was inside. Um, Frollo then has them um, basically um, tries them for insubordination and threatens and is basically going to kill him right there. But Esmeralda, who has been um, watching from a distance in disguise, uh, saves Fro- uh, Phoebus from being uh, from being killed. Phoebus tries to escape on um, on Frollo's horse, uh, but he gets shot with an arrow and falls into the uh, river sign. Um, Frollo basically tells his guards to leave it, that he could just drown in the water, but Esmeralda is able to, uh, save him in time as he takes, as she takes him back into the city. Uh, so Andy, what did you think of, um, this collection of scenes? what did you think of, um, both Heaven's Light and Hellfire as a song? And, uh, what'd you think of, uh, Phoebus kind of, uh, finally putting his foot down and standing up to, um, to Frollo by saving that family? Yeah, just when you think Frollo can't get any more evil or or worse or unlikable, you know, he's creepy with his intentions on and Esmeralda, and then he goes and, I mean, Hellfire is a really dark song. Uh, you know, it gets played on the uh, Sirius Disney Channel, uh, Disney station, and I often change it because I'm like, I... I don't want to hear this right now. It's going to bring my mood down. It's just going to, going to mess me up. So I, I, I yeah, I, I often try to, to skip on that one. I mean, it's a great, it's a really great song, but, um, and then Phoebus also, then he go, you know, he goes and he burns these poor people's house down. I mean, I, I think he was also testing Phoebus's loyalty since, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this guy is, is new. He doesn't really have a great, uh, uh, him under his thumb. Yet really, um, but it's uh, I I don't it doesn't end up going well for Phoebus. I mean Phoebus is one of those uh, characters I guess that he you know has a job but he's also got a conscience. So he's not like just doing it all for the cause. He he doesn't blindly follow uh, orders. He, he that's one good thing about Phoebus that that you do see is that he. Um, does have feelings and and he knows the difference between right and wrong once he has you know once he gets a little more info though but yeah it is definitely um hellfire is definitely a a a good song but not a song i want to listen to very often at all (laughs) yeah it's one yeah it's like you said it's one of those ones it's like it's 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 good it's a good song but it's like not um you had to be in a certain mood to be able to listen to it completely. Um, Miranda, what did you think of this uh, collection of scenes? What did you think of um, Hel- Heaven's Light and Hellfire's songs? And um, what did you think of Phoebus finally uh, standing up to uh, to Frollo? Um, I think 
we kind of expected him to stand up to Frollo, but I'm glad he did because he could have easily just not, right? Um, so I'm really glad that that happened. That song, I'm with Andy, it is dark. And when they have played it on the Sirius Disney, I'm like, I understand you're trying to go through the catalog of everything because there's probably somebody out there that is like, ooh, I love this. But it's a little, and I am usually uh, kind of on the more dark, macabre side of things. Um, and I just... Um, not a fan, not a huge fan of the song, but it drives the purpose home. It serves the the power um, to what they're trying to get across. Um, there's a lot that happens in here, and I think it again just adds to how horrible of a person Rolo is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he is. You know, we've so we've talked about previously. You know, in previous films about how. Uh, with these villains, they have one one singular goal in their life, and they'll do whatever it is to um to get it. And in the case of Frollo, it's not just you know to get rid of the gypsies, but now to have Esmeralda. So um, he, he'll go as far you know he'll go so far as to um to burn a family alive in a house in their house to do so. That's just to the you know just shows the depths of his uh of his depravity, and even more so the fact that you know he claims to be a man of God. You know that he's doing this, so I think that just makes it that just makes it even worse. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> so we then go back to Paris, which is basically you know which has been you know set on fire basically by Frollo. He then you know his guards are telling him that there's no sign of Esmeralda, and he you know wonders what Rob. Then he kind of realizes what you know how she probably escaped. Uh, we go back to the cathedral where the gargoyles and um, quasi are lamenting about you know if you know Esmeralda is going to be okay and uh, Hugo tries to you know play you know plays up you know kind of ease quasi's mind saying you know she's three steps ahead of him um, and then they kind of tell him that you know she likes him and that you know that she's the one as we get another really uh, kind of an interesting song to have at this point and that's um, a guy like you as a um, Sit, you know, talk up quasi that you know she's the one for him. Uh, right after they, right after the song's over, um, she finally makes a return to the cathedral as she brings uh, Phoebus with her, with her. Uh, she asks quasi to kind of keep him, you know, keep him there for safety, and that's when quasi kind of realizes that um, Esmeralda and Phoebus have fallen in love because at one point they do share a kiss. Um, and he's kind of, you know, he gets devastated by it because as, as uh, Andy kind of mentioned, you know. He's kind of garnered um, his own feelings for Esmeralda, um, and to kind of see this, you know, starts to kind of tear, you know, tears him up inside. Um, but he says that he will, he, you know, says that he'll keep, you know, Phoebus safe as she escapes. Um, at that point, Frollo then shows up, um, and then they end up hiding. Um, they hide Phoebus under his uh, his table there, and um, uh, Frollo shows up for his, you know, for his meal with Quasi, and Quasi's clearly, um, you know panicking because he knows you know what's he's not sure what's going to happen and frollo then basically says that he knows that quasi helped esmeralda escape and he tries to tell you know he tries to again remind quasi that gypsies are not good they're evil um even at one point saying you know because the, the whole his whole thing that and we didn't mention this some um, earlier but frollo has um what frollo has told quasi of his mother is that his mother abandoned him and that um that frollo was the one that sit you know that saved him and um, so then Frollo kind of is like, oh, you know, you know, he doesn't. He kind of then turns his, you know, his tone around and says that um, he doesn't blame Quasi for falling under uh, Esmeralda's spell. And he tells Quasi that um, 
that he knows where the Court of Miracles is. He's going to have a, a um, army of a thousand uh, ready by daybreak to raid the um, to raid the the court. Um, and Quasi, of course, gets uh, scared by this, so he um, he reluctantly teams up with Phoebus. Um, they use the necklace that um, that Esmeralda had given Quasi, and Quasi realizes that it's a map uh, to point them in the direction to the Court of Miracles. So. Um, Miranda, what did you think of this um, collection of scenes? Um, what did you think of a guy like you and this um, kind of realization by uh, Quasi that uh, Esmeralda and uh, Phoebus are um, are falling in love? I I do agree with you that I feel like uh, the song A Guy Like You is kind of oddly placed, maybe. Um, but it's not too oddly placed that it shouldn't have been there or anything. I think it's it's kind of understandable that quasi would fall in love with esmeralda just as phoebus is because she is kind and caring and he's been she's been the first person that's been like kind and caring and understanding to probably both of them really um because i mean phoebus in his daily life at least in work um like everybody is kind of i mean he he works under frollo right i mean so i can understand where they would both fall in love with esmeralda it would be very easy to do I think it's to be expected as well. Um, I really like our kind of like Court of Miracles introduction. I like the whole like skeletons thing. I thought that was really funny. Um, I So I don't know. I think it's just like a really cool set of scenes. That's probably one of the better parts of the movie to me. Um, not trying to take crap from anybody. But I, I feel like that and then the section where they, um, him and Esmeralda, prior that I talked about with the gargoyles in the top of the cathedral. I think that and this are like my favorite sections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Andy, what'd you think of this um, collection of scenes and where does um, a guy like you rank uh, fall for you as a song? Well, the image of Paris burning was uh, <clears throat> quite striking. Mm-hmm. A guy like you is an interesting song and number, but like, yeah, I agree. It like, it's kind of, out of place tonally it, it, it's it would be like sticking like friend like me and like uh, you know wh- while uh you know jafar is is doing you know god knows what and oh, that's aladdin, a good, yeah yeah it's like aladdin it's like friend like me happening while aladdin is like you know being held captive by jafar you know it's it just seems like like what like we need a nice song and dance number in the middle. It's, it's, it, it was, yeah, it just doesn't seem right to me. I mean, Phoebus and Esmeralda falling for each other. You knew we were going to get that uh, romantic lead and, 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 you know, sorry, Quasimodo is not your, your, he's your hero of your story, but he's not your romantic lead. And you definitely see where, you know, the jealousy kind of sets in and, um, you know, um, Esmeralda genuinely cares for Quasimodo. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, just not the way that he wants it to. And, and, and it is kind of devastating, you know, which you've seen this in plenty of uh, other stories and other movies where, you know, he's 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 ducky. He's basically he's in the friend zone here. You know, was, uh, again, I look, I made a pretty and pink reference. Jeez, what are we doing? Uh, <laughs> You're killing me, man. You're killing right, me tonight. Right. My references are coming out of nowhere. Ah. Uh, yeah, yeah, quasi Ducky Moto here. Uh, <laughs> Ducky Momo. <gasps> now you made me reference something. There you go. 
I'm trying to remember what that is from, but um Phineas and Ferb. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. Oh, Phineas and Ferb. Ducky uh, Momo. Yeah. <laughs> it all blends together. You know, it does. 104 days of summer vacation. It begets, 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 begets. Yep. Yes. Uh, at least there's no, uh, you know, Quasimoto's, uh, you know, bell ringing in this movie. Um, anyway. <laughs> but he's so conflicted when it comes to Frollo, because he's like... Sorry, <laughs> 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 uh, oh, guys. That's what happens when Maria and I spend too much time on Skype together. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, so you, yeah, he is he's severely conflicted when it comes to to Frollo, and I, I do really enjoy the, um, you know, when we get to the we start getting towards the uh, Court of Miracles. Uh, I love the revelation of it not only being his little like you know his his way to get in. It, it turns out to be a map that he has to follow, and um, I really uh, am looking forward to to what comes next here. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Uh, so, um, like I said, Quasimodo and Phoebus use the uh, the pendant to find their way towards the uh, towards the graveyard and make their way into a grave as they head down into the catacombs, um, where they make their way towards the court. But they end up getting ambushed um, by the gypsies who believe that um, that they are spies of Frollo. So they uh, capture them up, and we get another um, uh fun little song here that's the court of miracles that uh clopin sings um as they prepare to um to hang phoebus and as and, uh, quasi but um esmeralda stops them in time saying that they are you know they're on their side and phoebus lets them know about uh frollo's plan but as we find out it all was a uh trick as frollo and his guards end up there right then and there uh they end up rounding up all of the gypsies um as well as esmeralda and phoebus as uh, as uh, frollo remind as frollo basically uh, thanks quasi for leading them there and as i as we mentioned earlier uh, he even flat out says uh i knew you would be of use to me at some point as uh, quasi is left you know devastated by everything uh, we then head back to the uh, head back to the cathedral where we see uh, Frollo is preparing to um, to burn Esmeralda at the stake. Uh, we see Quasi has been chained up to the pillars of the uh, cathedral as the gargoyles try to free him, but Quasi has at that point uh, kind of just resigned himself to the to his fate and is um, ready, is just ready to give up as the gargoyles um, kind of just walk away and go back to stone. As Laverne gives a you know poignant phrase there that they thought that Quasi was made of something more. Uh, Frollo's uh, Frollo's ready to light the fire, but gives Esmeralda one last chance to um, to be by his side, and Esmeralda basically spits on him, and uh, he then lights the fire. Uh, we then see Quasi then finally get the uh, the strength together as he basically breaks himself free of the chains um, while destroying the pillars. Uh, he then ropes down um, onto the prior, um, frees Esmeralda from the um, from the stake. And then uh, makes his way back up to the cathedral as he cries out um, "Sanctuary!" and basically, uh, you know, basically trying to, you know, keep Esmeralda protected. Um, so obviously, we got a lot more going here with the scene. But really quick, um, Andy, what'd you think of the the Court of Miracles um, scene itself, and then this uh, little bit here where uh, where Frollo nearly kills Esmeralda and Quasi almost, um, you know, just basically gives up or finally kind of, you know. Becoming the hero that we knew he could be. Yeah, I, I get up, you know, as I wanted to mention this earlier, I get a lot of influences. Uh, I see like Sword in the Stone, 
Like Phoebus looks like he should have been, you know, uh, Wart's uh, knight there. And then I get um, I get some Black Cauldron feels from this catacombs here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's kind of um, scary in there in the way they sneak up on them. And we learn that you know the gypsies are are free, fun, loving, but they will kill to protect themselves and protect their people. And Phoebus seems like he's like almost about to die like a lot in this movie where he uh you know he gets uh shot with an arrow uh he almost gets executed earlier by frollo he almost gets hanged here and you know it's uh i feel bad for for quasimodo for for leading frollo there i mean but he's just you know he's kind of uh easy to manipulate he seems and we do get uh, his 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 arc his hero's journey in this is really quite good where he you know really starts to believe himself and and st- and he's got real friends finally that he can he stand up for he's got reason to uh, you know it's not just about him anymore uh, so and and Frollo is just creepy among <laughs> Miranda is Frollo the creepiest Disney villain that we've ever seen or ever have seen oh he's definitely the skeeviest. Yeah, he's definitely the, the skeeviest. I think that could be another reason why this movie is not as popular because, you know, we like our villains. The reason why we like villains is because we like them, their personalities. We like mm-hmm. their, you know, their flaws. And and there's nothing redeemable about him. He doesn't have like that... Um, what, what's what's his his flaw here that you know? But it's he, like what, it's, he's got a hard on for Esmeralda. I mean, what, what yeah. else is there? Really? It's what Steve said earlier, though. To add to what you're saying is that um, normally we have uh, a villain that you can understand why they became a villain. You can understand you you they you, you know they're flawed and you know they're not okay, but you find something charismatic and redeeming in them and there's just not anything there and i know somebody's gonna tell me well miranda he's a normal person and you said that just like gaston is i think the difference here while they are both just regular normal everyday people gaston was i don't know he when you you could look deeper into why he was the way he was right and people continued to treat him and boost his ego this guy is just—he's a murderer hiding in plain sight. Like he gets off yeah. on this, and he thinks he's doing it for Christian purposes. I just—that's why I think he is so scary and so villainous. Honestly. Yeah, yeah like Gaston's kind of a, a, a fool. You know, right. he, he's not—he's not very bright, and and you know, he's—he's he's an attractive guy and he's got this this flunky next to him and everybody's pumping up his ego i mean frollo just right. just rules and and it's out of it's not out of respect it's out of fear mm-hmm. that, that and people just, do yeah. things for him it's disgusting and disturbing yeah to answer your no, question but, but gaston <laughs> i think is in the top five of creepy uh oh, still. Uh, still. as well but nobody tops frollo so yeah it's just the hits keep on coming with him. I mean, what's Esmeralda's choices here? Death or Frollo? You're picking death, right? But, oh, I'm taking death. Yeah, most <laughs> most people are, I think, here. 
uh, I, I kind of feel like when uh, it's like when Jasmine kisses uh, Jafar, it's like, Ugh! like if you're, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, seeing Quasimodo get his inner strength to break the chains is such great imagery, and it's like you know, symbolism of it, like he's finally free from Frollo, his, his uh, you know, in his head, I guess, uh, is mm-hmm. his control over him. So it's really a, you know, a, we're getting towards our climax here, and and it really is is it, one thing they did do is is they built this to a nice crescendo. I mean, it, we we don't it it, it, it it's earned this uh, as we get to this climax of this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So after uh, so after uh, Quasi saves Esmeralda, Frollo basically tells his guards to um, to enter the cathedral. Uh, at that point, Phoebus then make, uh, breaks free out of his little cage and he rallies the um, the the, uh, the citizens of Paris to finally uh, stand up uh, against Frollo and uh, take him down. They free all the gypsies and we get a big battle scene with all the townspeople, uh, Phoebus and the guards. Meanwhile, uh, Quasi and the um, gargoyles try to keep them from breaking into the cathedral by various uh, methods. We get... Uh, Victor uh, dropping a uh, small brick on somebody and um, still apologizing for it. Uh, Hugo basically acts like a um, a warf a warplane and shoots down a lot of the uh, down a lot of the guards. Uh, at one point, they actually make themselves a little uh, catapult and end up uh, shoving it off the um, off the side of the cathedral to the ground. Uh, not the way it's supposed to work. Um, Laverne then actually. Um, gathers up all her birds and sends them out to battle in a nice little homage there to um, the Wizard of Oz. Um, mm-hmm. And at one point, they eventually um, they build up all this um, this hot molten lead and end up uh, pouring it down all over the side, down the side, um, down to the ground, uh, trying to keep everyone away from the uh, from the entrance. But uh, Frollo has managed to um, avoid it and sneak his way in. Um, he shoves the Archdeacon aside, basically says you know that he's going to finish this up with Quasi. Uh, Quasi, who had put um, Esmeralda in his room um, before uh, beginning the battle, comes in, says, you know, they've won, everything's okay, but then he thinks uh, Esmeralda had died, so he gets all upset. Frollo then comes in, and uh, Quasi, you know, says, you know, you killed her, and Frollo says, you know, well, it was my it was my duty, and I hope you can forgive me, as he pulls out a sword and prepares to stab Quasi, but Quasi sees the shadow and ends up shoving him away, and finally, like, um, like you said, um, you know, finally, like, let's loose on Frollo. Says everything that he's been taught was a lie. Um, that he's not, you know, he's not. Um, nothing's um, evil that that he thought it was. Esmeralda then manages to wake up, and they end up uh, going out onto the um, onto the sides of the cathedral with Frollo running behind them with a sword. Um, they quasi, you know, uses his um, abilities to kind of scale everything as he tries to keep uh, himself and Esmeralda away. At one point, Frollo finally finally admits to Quasi that. It was he that had killed uh, Quasi's mother and that he's going to do what he should have done 20 years ago as he throws his um, rope on him. Um, but at one point, uh, fr- uh, Quasi ends up pulling him over the side and they da- are dangling from the, from the side. Uh, Esmeralda tries to pull Quasi back up, but Frollo ends up getting onto a um, gargoyle perch and says um, what I think is a very poignant um, final um, final line. As he says, um, and he shall smite the wicked and plunge them into the fiery pit. As the uh, as the gargoyle um, breaks, starts to break apart, and he ends up grabbing onto it, and then it comes alive briefly and uh, turns evil as he realizes what's awaiting him. Uh, and then it breaks apart, and he falls um, to his death 
into the uh, into the molten lead, a very fitting end for one so uh, so evil. Um, Esmeralda then loses her grip on Quasi, but he ends up getting saved by Phoebus, who had made his way into the cathedral. And the three of them eventually kind of regroup in the um, in the halls there as Quasi then um, puts uh, Phoebus and um, Esmeralda's hands together, basically um, accepting that the two of them um, belong together. Uh, so, uh, Miranda, what did you think of this um, kind of final climactic scene, um, this final battle, um, the demise of Frollo and um, and uh, Quasi kind of coming to terms or accepting that uh, Esmeralda and Phoebus belong together? Um, I relish in the fact that that ugly man fell into the fire. It's kind of like the fiery pits of hell that he was trying to so badly avoid, right? The allegory. Um, I really, I really liked it. What I like though is that as he's hanging on to dear life, and and you know she's hanging on to quasi, so it's not like they purposely made him fall, right? They're actually good people, but she can't save both of them. I like that the stone, the gargoyle, like launches himself into that stone and is like, ha ha, I'm not good. You can go on somewhere. Um, I really love that. I think it's fantastic that Quasi, and it shows the kind of person he is, that he realizes he just, he loves Esmeralda, but he wants her to be happy. He wants her to be loved. And he sees that Phoebus is a good person. He just needed to see, you know, be reminded of the good person that he is. Yeah, definitely. Um, Andy, what would you think of this kind of final climactic scene here and the uh, demise of Frollo? Uh, I think this battle is probably the most well-balanced between humor and, and action in the entire film. I mean, we do get some comedic moments here, like the old prisoner who was in the gallows and then he ends up in the sewer. We yes. get, <laughs> you know, Hugo and, and Victor here. Uh, uh, their their little parts here with uh, you know the brick like you mentioned and and the and the, uh, the rocks and all that stuff, but still we still get the you know the the action and it's not forced. I mean this really is probably my favorite part of the entire movie because it it, it shows you know it, it kind of it 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 shows it has what made the other films so great where it was, it was that balance that it struck. And it was the only time in the movie that they really had that. I mean, there are some fr- uh, frivolous and, and, and carefree fun scenes, but you know, the other scenes that are in this movie are so damn dark and, and brooding and scary. Uh, you know, I, I, I wrote in my notes, did I hear a goofy scream during the siege? I don't know. I'd have to go back and look, you know, we get Achilles into the action a little bit here with the, such a good obedient horse. Uh, Frollo, uh, you know, assaulting the Archdeacon, who has been really undersung in this movie as well, because uh, he is really responsible for 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 being somewhat a voice of reason and an ally to uh, to Quasimodo and those that need the sanctuary, reminding Frollo, uh, you know, of what he can and can't do, and if he's really this God fearing, you know, man of of religion. Um, you know, he does attempt uh, murder on Quasimodo and, and he gets the classic Disney villain death with falling from up high. You know, I love Phoebus getting the save here at the end. And, and you know, Quasimodo, you know, he may be a lot of things. He's not an idiot. <laughs> you know, 
he sees the love and how much they care for each other, and he cares for both of them. So he wants to see his friends happy. So he wants to make sure that they're together, and they they know that that's how he feels. It's like you know, don't worry, like don't worry about my feelings. This this is this is what should be. I'm happy for you, and how he really he 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 puts their hands together and he puts his two hands on top of them like like giving that like I approve this is what I want you know and and they you know are free to go ahead and and express their love without any kind of uh you know worry about feelings for him he you know it's like being happy first for somebody and that's true that's love that's true love I mean not all love in movies or, or in television or love stories are between a man and a woman in a romantic way, as we're going to see quite a, we got a quite a bit to go, but you know, we have one that's a love story of, of between two sisters. This is really a love story of friendship. Because well, you can be in love with yeah. someone and, oh, yeah. or you can love someone and not be in love in a romantic way. Yeah. I think it is important to let people know that you love them, and that's what Quasimodo did to both yeah. of them. Here. Yeah, but I'm just saying, in most movies and most cartoons, actually, it is a uh, a romantic like love, mm-hmm. I guess, that is usually mm-hmm. in there, and showing that, uh, you know, he it, it's really a love for him, uh, you know, or that the fact that he is loved mm-hmm. and he's now accepted uh, is really the the heart of this film. I mean, you know. He, he, it's his story. He's our hero. Uh, you know, Esmeralda and 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 Phoebus are side players, really. So uh, it, it really is that uh, you know it it gives him the ending he so richly deserves in this movie. Mhm. Mhm. Definitely. So we do get a um, last little scene here as uh, Esmeralda and Phoebus exit the cathedral as the crowd cheers them on, and then Esmeralda brings out uh, Quasimodo. Um, they're not quite sure what to make of him, and then a little girl decides to come up and um, you know, kind of feels him off a bit, then eventually embraces him, which he then returns. And then we hear uh, Clopin basically call for three cheers for Quasimodo, and then we get a final like little singing of uh, the Bells of Notre Dame as the townspeople take... Uh, put Quasimodo on their shoulders and carry him away. Um, like you said, as he now finally has been accepted by the people and we get a great um, little pa- party shot of the, um, of the city and the cathedral. And one last little shot of um, Laverne shooing the birds away as she complains <laughs> about them not migrating. Uh, and then we go, and then that takes us into our closing credits. Uh, so that concludes um, this film. So when the film came out, it did, um, Fairly decently, um, it debuted, as I said, in 96. It um, would ultimately finish with um, 100.1 million domestically and 325.3 well, worldwide, which is you know, not too bad. Um, the film currently holds a rating of uh, 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, many felt that it was still a um, that it may have been a little uneven, but it does um, is carried well by its uh, visuals, the themes. Um, many felt that um, it was a little too dark for children. Um, Though it does has gotten a pretty um, good response, particularly from um, from the, when it opened in France in March of '97, um, it would end up being nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Musical or Comedy Score, uh, which it ultimately did not win. Um, we would get a sequel, a um, direct-to-video sequel in 2002, The Hunchback of Notre Dame 2. 
um, which I um, I have not personally seen. I don't know if either of you have ever um, have ever seen it. I, I've seen, I think, bits and pieces of it. I think it was something like Thanks. we may have had on DVD and the kids may have watched, but it was not something that like nobody. Oh, right, Dad, can we watch uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame too? No, nobody ever really. Yeah, said same. That. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, it was um, also written into a stage musical, um, which br- briefly ran from uh, 99 to 2002. Um, several of the characters would appear on a couple of other shows, like Quasi, Esmeralda, and the the, uh, the Gargoyles, and Frollo all appeared on um, The House of Mouse. And, yeah, I uh, loved House of Mouse. <laughs> and, and Frollo also appeared on um, The House of Villains. Um, and there are um, rumors that um, it is going to be another um, one of the films that will be um, a live action remake. Um, I know uh, Josh Gad has been in talks to play uh, to play Quasimodo, which um, could be interesting um, if it ever um, if it ever does get off the ground. Um, like um, Andy said, is um, not um, too represented really well at the parks. I'm sure um, at um, Disneyland Paris, it's probably got some good representation there. I do know I that. I um, think it does. Um, I will look while you continue, but I think mm-hmm. the most of the representation. Um, Andy and I kind of talked about this last night too with Alice. I think more of the things that kind of take place in Europe have a larger presence in the Paris um, park. Yeah. Well, it's definitely, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he is a rare character, Cosimodo, to find, and it's almost impossible. You know, the one place that you would see him, your best chances are Disneyland Paris. Uh, mm-hmm. There was the Hunchback of Notre Dame, a musical adventure show that took place at Disney Hollywood Studios in the back lot. Uh, theater from 1996 to 2002. That was in Florida, of course. Is he in the Fro- parade? Uh, I, not now. Okay. No, not now, but Frollo is, is uh, also can be uh, appear, but very rarely during villain events and shows like Halloween, uh, Disney, like Mickey's Not So Scary or things like that. He is featured. Uh, it, this is featured in Fantasmic at Disney's Hollywood Studios, which is reopening very mm-hmm. soon, and in Disneyland, uh, Tokyo Disneyland. Uh, it's featured in One Man Dreams 2, The Magic Lives On, which is a uh, a movie in a theater over there. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, it's not that marketable. I mean, I, th- I in terms of merchandising, I mean, I think we did have a uh, a Jolly at one point, and I did have a Hugo, uh, like a little one that like you know little handheld thing. But but uh, it's a film that you should definitely seek out. I mean, if you're listening to this and you ever saw it, I don't know why you're listening to it, but. Uh, you should definitely seek it out. It, it is uh, really good. And you could definitely see where it would have greater appeal uh, internationally than it would here in, in, in the States where, you know, not, not that it's a little highbrow, but, you know, definitely I, I would love to see like a little breakdown of, uh, of the, um, of, of the territories where where it's worldwide came from, and I'm sure Europe probably had its highest its highest gross in Europe. So it, it is, you know. It also, yeah, like Miranda was saying, you know, people like to see movies about where they where they're from. People mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, when I see a movie that was set in New York or in, or like uh, where somewhere I'm familiar with, then it's pretty cool. Oh, um, so <laughs> they once held a festival of fools at Walt Disney World. Oh. Hmm. Interesting. They um, usually do that kind of stuff, like you know, for like a year or two after a movie comes out, mm-hmm. kind of capitalize on it and, and give it continue to get a, a momentum, I guess, for its DVD release and that stuff. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and actually, and I had said um, at the beginning here that I had a little personal story that um, 
was yeah. that this film was attached to. But um, so um, obviously you two are both very familiar with the um, the candlelight processional that takes place at Epcot during the holidays, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and um, well, my senior year of high school, uh, 2002, um, I was involved in um, choir when I was in school, believe it or not. Um, and for 2002, my choir was actually selected to take part in the candlelight processional that year. Oh, cool. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, December 29th, 2002, we actually performed. So, this year will actually mark 20 years since that happened. So, wow, oh, you old. Holy cr- yeah, no kidding. I know. Right? <laughs> Somebody who's older than you says. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but obviously, we, you know, we would spend a week there, and uh, we did a couple of other things. And one of the things we did was at um, Disney, um, uh, Disney MGM. Of course, now at Disney Hollywood Studios, um, we did a little um, choir workshop with some people that worked um, there at Disney, and we performed a couple songs. And two of the songs we performed were actually from this film. We did Topsy Turvy and uh, God Help the Outcasts. So uh, that's kind of like my little um, connection um, to this film uh, via through that. We also sang, um, we also did the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, uh, the Mickey Mouse Club theme song uh, with Mickey actually with us. So that was. Um, oh, it's really cool. So that was a lot of fun. So definitely some uh, some great memories there. So um, just wanted just wanted to kind of share that out there. So um, with all that said, uh, Miranda, what are your kind of final thoughts on um, the Hunchback of Notre Dame? I think it is easily forgotten about. Sometimes I do want to use the word that we've used a lot already, but I think it is a little bit underrated. Um, it is kind of it is obviously dark. Um, but I can appreciate what it's trying to convey. Like if you're an adult and you watch this, you understand all of the things that it's trying to teach you lessons on. Um, and I think they're even more heartbreak inducing as an adult. Um, overall, I really enjoy the film. I enjoyed watching it again. It had been a really long time since I had watched it. I had forgotten about multiple songs. Um, so it was really neat to kind of like revisit all of those. Uh, I don't think it would be, I mean, we've kinda, we kind of, we kind of have vaguely started talking as we move forward, like, oh, would it be in your top five or, or this or that? And I don't think it would be, but I definitely think it kind of withstands its test of time and deserves more credit than it is given. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, Andy? Uh, I I do enjoy the film. I mean, I had forgotten how dark it was because I had it had been a long time since I had watched it as well. Um, and you know, it, the fact that where it ranks for for me, uh, yeah, it's going to be on the the lower end. But it's really just because of um, not no fault of the film. I mean, it's 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 a beautifully animated film. It's very well voiced. Some really good songs in it. It's just it's it's just a, it's a little dark. It's it's unbalanced most of the movie, and I just I, I just and there are a couple of characters I, I I don't really like that much. Not not because I I hate them. It's just I I don't feel anything from them. So, but it is definitely some has a important a place in the canon. It's definitely there are definitely a lot quite a number of films that are are lower than this. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, but it's definitely a uh, something that you should see at least once. But it's the rewatchability of this film is is pretty is pretty low. Um, but I do I do admire for what they did. They did they did a, a quite it was an achievement in animation and, and other things. So I I do admire for what they uh, 
for this film, the feat this film is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I definitely um, enjoyed it um, when I watched it for the first time. Um, I've really thought it, I do think it, um, I'm kind of more on Miranda's side that I do think it is a lot more underrated than it is, um, than it probably should be. Um, in terms of the, um, in terms of like when we're talking the Renaissance, it's definitely not on the same level as, you know, films we had seen previously, like Beauty, Aladdin, Lion King, that sort of thing. Um, but I do think it kind of, it does hold its own. Um, I guess some uh, previous films that we've talked about, um, again, like I said, dealing with the, the source material, um, I thought they did a really good job in making it as kid, you know, kid friendly as possible while staying somewhat, you know, you know, true to the source. Um, and it was a good little risk, I think, for Disney to try something a little bit darker. Um, something out of the almost out of the norm um, that we had seen before. So you know, kudos to them for um, for taking taking that chance and for um, you know for doing it like they for doing what they did. Um, but with that, that will um, wrap up our f- discussion on uh, this film. Uh, we will come back uh, in about a month's time with our next film, the 35th film in the uh, Disney canon, as we continue our trek through the Disney Renaissance, and we are going from. Uh, from 18th century Paris all the way back to ancient Greece as we discuss the film Hercules. Uh, this is one I'm very uh, interested to talk about because I feel like um, this has a voice performance in it that um, maybe not up to the same level as Robin Williams and Aladdin, but definitely one that I think is um, very memorable um, in terms of uh, the character he plays and uh, the performance that he puts out. And we will, of mm-hmm. course, uh, talk about that when we get to it. Um, but right now, let's um, go around and talk about where everyone can find us on social media and other uh, podcasts we got going on. So, Miranda, we'll start with you. Um, I have multiple other podcasts here on our home feed, uh, PlayStation Pop Experience. And you can always find, of course, Andy and I also do stuff in conjunction with Stream Lounge um, that you can go over and find as well. Um, social media wise, uh, you can find me in the place to be Facebook group that we all have, that we're all a part of on Instagram and TikTok at moms and nerd. Um, and we, I have a whole lot of things that are coming up. So if you just go to the website or go to the feed, you can find everything that I have kind of take part in. You can search if you go to the website by our individual names. Um, actually, and you can find uh, what we're all kind of doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff there. Uh, Andy? Uh, well, yeah, like I said, this is my uh, home here. I do do a couple of wrestling shows that I am thinking about bringing back uh, into the, the, the rotation. They're, they're kind of um, specials, not really regular shows. They're kind of quarterly, so keep an eye out on the PlayStation Wrestling Network, and just keep an eye on it anyway, because it's a great feed with a lot of great shows, a lot of great wrestling content uh, with the Podfather uh, curating over there. Uh, as for me, though, my podcasts, um, a lot of my podcasts have been on uh, a hiatus for a while, but I am starting to slowly bring them back. So uh, Laugh in Theater, um, Year and Pop, uh, Blockbuster uh, Rewatch, and... Um, Oh, Pop Goes to the Couch, uh, maybe all coming back very soon. Just uh, won't be as frequent as now. Also, Cartoons of Our Youth will be debuting probably about mid to late November will be the first episode. And uh, like Miranda mentioned, um, I am over on Stream Lounge. Pretty much I try to do every Wednesday. I alternate with my two alter egos. I have Blockbuster Rewatch right now, and I am currently 
going through the MCU under that profile. And uh, my next movie, as of this recording, will be Shang-Chi and The Legend of Ten Rings. And uh, once I get through the MCU, uh, I may just do a couple of random blockbusters and then start on Star Wars. But uh, I will be looking to begin uh, Star Wars. And I'm going in theatrical release order, not episode order. I'm not an idiot. And... um, and then there's all the other weeks under Laugh in Theater, I am currently doing a Pixar rewatch. So as of this recording, my next one this week will be uh, The Incredibles. And Michael Cook actually is joining me for that one, making his stream on his debut. And they all get released as pods. Um, Miranda and Steve have joined me on there. And I know Miranda will be doing um, her own thing soon uh, on, mm-hmm. on stream on. So keep an eye out and just follow us over there. If you follow us, uh, you know, Moms and Nerd, Laugh and Theater, Blockbuster, uh, Rewatch, or, yeah, Rewatch, uh, you know, you get alerted when we're broadcasting anything. Uh, and if you join the Place to Be group, a lot of us will say, hey, join us tonight on StreamOnge or whenever we're going to be on there. And you can come and watch along with us. It, it really is a, a great platform, and it's a lot of fun, and I highly encourage everybody to uh, come check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Lots of uh, lots of good stuff going oh, on. Oh, video jukebox song of the day too. Every weekday at eight AM. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. I was gonna do that. I was actually gonna mention that myself. Ah. Um, um, but as for me, I'm I'm usually over here on the pop feed, not only with this show, but also making Matt Rushmore, where me and a group of people come on and we discuss um, various topics. Um, for the month of October, we will be just doing something Halloween themed. Um, oh, so. Definitely uh, looking forward to that. Um, and also, as uh, Andy mentioned, uh, the Video Jukebox Song of the Day. Um, be sure to check that out every day, every Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. Lots of great stuff going on there. And actually, I will just say quickly, um, if you do follow Miranda, she's, of course, doing her um, her 31 Days of Halloween uh, movie watching. So um, be sure to keep you know follow along with her on that. It's a lot of fun with some of those choices that she has. So definitely <laughs> want to shout out to her for that one. Um of course. Uh, you can also find me over on the uh, wrestling feed where uh, myself and James Grunberg have Extreme Resurrection, where we are going through the uh, WWE revival of ECW. Uh, we are currently into January of 2007. Um, our most recent episode, we discussed the, uh, the go-home ECW to the Royal Rumble and the ECW after the Rumble. So we got a uh, double dose of Lashley and Test, which was more than I really needed in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we also, of course, got the uh, beginning of the uh, ECW Originals New Breed Feud. So uh, be interested to see how that uh, continues to build as we head towards uh, No Way Out and eventually to WrestleMania 23. So be sure to check that out, as well as everything else over on the Wrestling Feed and the North-South Connection Feed. Lots of great shows going on over there. Um, as Miranda also mentioned, the uh, of course the PTB Facebook page, uh, lots of great stuff going on there. Our um, most recent tournament just wrapped um, not that long ago, where we determined uh, the greatest animated film of all time. Uh, it was won by The Lion King, uh, which defeated Shrek in the finals. So really uh, great uh, finals there. Congratulations to The Lion King. One a film that I kind of um, figured had probably one of the best shots of winning. So I'm not yeah. too surprised um, with that there result. Was, there were some um, interesting. Um, Results in some of the earlier rounds, like I can't believe Up had had the run it did, and it won. It actually won its bracket over Aladdin. So uh, it was, and and I wouldn't have been upset if Shrek won. I mean, as much as I, I love The Lion King, Shrek is such a great, and it's and it kind of came out of nowhere, like when it was released, and it was a fu- it was a fun tournament. It was it wasn't e- mm-hmm. it was easy to predict, but it wasn't easy to predict. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely some. Uh, there were some decisions there that made me want to, um, you know, put yeah. my fist through the wall. But um, but you know, I mean, if we did this like a few years from a few years later and like rearranged all the matchups and did different brackets, I mean, we could probably, you know, who knows what the uh, end result would end up being. So don't blame the randomizer. Randomizer has no stake <laughs> in it. <laughs> but no but like you said it was a lot of fun and we look forward to um when we get to our next tournament which probably won't be until um until 2023 so be on the um so be prepared for that um but with that all said um we thank you all for joining us for another great uh, journey here as we continue our trek through all the disney animated films and we will be back as i said next month with hercules so for miranda and andy i am steve riddle this has been pop goes the classics here on the ptb pop experience and we will see you next time <laughs>